0: to transform our schools so that every child thrives. Here's your host, Dr. Barry.
1: Hey there, Equity Warriors. Welcome to our Summer Professional Learning Series. Thanks so much for tuning in or tuning back in. Today, we have the eighth of our 10 special episodes designed to support you as a parent, a caregiver, an educator, school leader, or a supporter of your local schools. And as always, I know you're listening, um, and these sessions are published on my YouTube channel. For those of you who've not seen the PowerPoints that go with these, Full video support is there, the handouts, the resources, everything. So if you're not a subscriber to my YouTube channel, check out the notes for the link so that you can watch these learning sessions as designed. So today we have the last episode for the summer series developed, especially for educators, coaches, and consultants who provide professional learning to classroom educators. But of course, if you're a parent or a school leader, you're definitely going to learn something from what I'll share. Certainly, it's a topic we have all, at some point in time, had some experience with grades. There aren't too many things that evoke more emotions from ecstasy to absolute terror, as do grades when it comes to our K-12 education. So, and for many of our students, the grades that they get are not always reflective of what we should consider as an equitable assessment of their skills and their knowledge. So, as we are considering all of the practices in our schools and classrooms that should be rooted in equity, just how do we identify the influence and impact of racism and the other isms on our learners? as they show themselves, as they manifest in our grading practices, let's dig in. So today you get a special sneak peek into chapter four of my upcoming book on equitable classroom practices for culturally and linguistically diverse learners just a snippet. So if you'd like today's content, make sure you're following me on social media for updates of when it will release, most likely about this time next year. In today's episode, we're going to start by taking a look at the purpose of grading. And then we'll look at the intersectionality of grading and equity and implementing equitable grading and the CARDI framework. When we think about grading, most of us are familiar with the old A through F grading scheme, right? The 100% scheme maybe and a 4.0 scale. Maybe it's a 5.0 scale because of AP coursework, but it's likely what you grew up with, one of those systems. And more than likely, it's what we were taught to do in our schools of education for those of us who are educators, but really not just what is a grade, but what is the purpose of grading. Why do we give grades? So if we go way back in the history. Grades were designed as a way to communicate between teachers and families at a school. But like so many other things in education that we create at local levels, whether it's a school or a district or a city, if there's no central authority that mandates or standardizes or facilitates communication, grading schemes can vary wildly. And it wasn't until the turn of the 20th century when school systems and employers began to look at grades for information about aptitude and student accomplishment. So we based our systems here in the United States on two European aptitude models where grades were a way of ranking learners one against the other, literally moving them from one seat to another seat based on how well they did a lesson on a day-to-day basis. This scheme was the expression of their knowledge, not the amount of work they completed. So you could do all your homework. It wasn't about doing all your homework. If you were like me and there were some classes where you knew you could get an A just because of your knowledge and your ability to absorb the information and never do a stitch of work, you could be at the head of the class. Yeah, it doesn't work that way anymore. In our contemporary education system, our grades have been a way to communicate students' understanding of a subject. At least that's what we're told. And basically, it's what we assume. If they are performance indicators, grades should represent a child's mastery of course content. The higher the grade, the more it's understood that the student has comprehended and retained, they've held on to a large amount of the subject matter. As benchmarks, grades should allow us to track a student's progress. When we see improvements in grades over a period of time, it can be a positive reinforcement of the learner, letting them know what they're understanding or that they are getting better, that they are understanding more of the subject matter. And then depending on the course and the type of assignments that are given, grades can help to identify a student's strengths and weaknesses. They can help pinpoint where learners need support in specific areas. And you might notice that you have a student that excels at written assignments, but struggles when it comes time to take a test. That means that they may suffer from difficulty with recall under pressure or simply test taking strategies need to be taught in three of these areas though there are some potential shortcomings in grades accurately reflecting a learner's ability or their understanding and it's really dependent upon whether the teacher averages grades over time or assigns a final grade based on the highest grade in each category that they measure as a teacher for those of us who actually do or have done those grade calculations As a benchmark against a standard, you get solid information about where a learner needs support or is excelling. But if you're comparing learners across a cohort of other learners, we have to consider the differences in student background, their language, their home environment. We have to think about their prior instruction and the quality of instruction that they've received before they got to you. And in terms of identifying a student's strengths and weaknesses, This means you have to have a variety of assignments and assessments if we want to determine where a child may need support or where they excel. It requires a classroom that's open to learners demonstrating their knowledge in a variety of ways and an educator, a classroom teacher, who's willing to accept a variety of products as a demonstration of knowledge. Now, you may not believe this, but when I was a child, yes, I was a straight-A student, but... If you asked me to stand up and speak in front of the class, I was going to get an F. I was terrified to speak in public. So we have to look at strengths and weaknesses. We have to give our students different ways to prove their knowledge. And so as we think about traditional grading systems, let's look at them through the lens of the four equity indicators. Remember those things? That's all the way back in episode four if you need a deep dive. But let's look at the indicators as they relate to traditional grading systems. So that first one is meritocracy, where we ask the question, who has the power? The answer to that question is simple. It's the educators. We're the ones who determine whether we use a norm reference grading system, if we do grade averaging, deduction-based, or zero-based grading. And typically, we do this with equality, not with equity. Every child gets the exact same thing. Nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah, wrong. More on that in a bit. The second equity indicator is standards, and the question we ask there is, who has mastery? Great question. Define mastery. Better question, what do we do as educators to ensure mastery? Where is mastery on Bloom's taxonomy? And what's the difference between mastery and proficiency? How does grade averaging, deduction-based, and zero-based grading reflect mastery? Now, any of those grading schemes can be more about mastery of completing and turning in assignments and doing some extra credit work than they are about demonstrating a high level of knowledge and skills in a content area. I'm just saying. Our third indicator is impartiality. And the question we ask there is, who has representation? So in traditional grading systems, we really don't give a rat spit about a child's race, their identity, or their lived experience. How do those things fit into grade averaging deduction based or zero based grading think about that and then four is asset allocation and there we ask the question about positive structural inequality is there a positive structural inequality eh, no there isn't because in traditional grading systems each student is graded equally whether you use grade averaging deduction based or zero based grading and you're probably asking the question well Shouldn't we grade each child equally? Shouldn't we have an A to F or 0 to 100 or some other scale? Shouldn't those points be awarded based on the work a learner submits? Well, yes and no. But before we move on to the intersectionality of grading and all other things equity related, I want you to do a bit of reflecting on your practice. And if you're working with a group doing podcast study, you can do a think-pair-share, reflect on, and discuss your own experiences or observations related to the grading practices and schemes And in your school. Discuss your use of norm referencing, grade averaging, deduction-based grading, and zero-based grading. Now, there is a handout, these questions, and some definitions for those of you who aren't really sure, maybe on the, the four different grading schemes I'm talking about, that's there, You know what to do. Pause the podcast and then come back when you're ready. So there's this uh, or was this 17th century English poet, playwright and politician named Joseph Addison. And he said that no oppression is so heavy or lasting as that which is inflicted by the perversion and exorbitance of legal authority. There's a lot there too much to cover here, but go back and check out episode 12, which is the four eyes of oppression. And that'll give you some good background knowledge. And then stay tuned for episode 56, which is all about intersectionality. Here, we're only going to scratch the surface like quarter inch deep relating intersectionality to grading. So when we talk about intersectionality, there's this thing called the line of domination between privilege and oppression. And the big idea is this. Intersectionality refers to the overlapping social identities we all possess, identities such as race, gender, and social class, and they intersect to create unique experiences of discrimination and privilege when it comes to how our behavior, engagement, and interaction in the classroom environment is perceived. And that impacts the grades that we receive as learners and the grades we give as educators. So we'll go deep into this, like I said, in episode 56, but just here, take a look at the various isms, right? We have and biases. So We have language bias, whether you are a, an English-only speaker, like school English speaker, or an emergent bilingual, somewhere along that continuum, each of us lies. Racism, continuum there is from white to learners of color, behaviorism, educationalism, ableism, classism, culturalism. All of these things have items or a what the dominant social class has determined is good or proper or normed or best and those which are oppressed and you find those below the line of domination. Again, remember episode 56, it's come and check that out. So, When we talk about intersectionality and grading with that very brief overview of intersectionality, go back to those four equity indicators and ask the same questions. Who has mastery? Same answer, educators. But in an equitable system, educators use their power for the good of all, and particularly those who fall below the line of domination. So look below the line of domination. Who are those learners in your classroom? Second question is standards, where we ask who has mastery in an equitable system. We have to think about how our schemes of grade averaging, deduction-based, or zero-based grading impact those below the line of domination because of their IEP or 504 status, or those who perhaps should be on a 504, but maybe don't have an advocate to ensure that they receive appropriate identification. Does language bias impact their grade? What about their behavior? Are those learners who may not adhere to the educator's cultural, your, as the educator, as the adult in the classroom, the adult in the school, in the the central office, maybe they don't adhere to your cultural ideal of what constitutes good behavior, and are they losing points because of those behaviors, because of behaviorism? And on and on it goes, right? So third question is about, or it's impartiality, where we ask the question, who has representation? And in an equitable system, we have to consider how our schemes of, again, the grade averaging, deduction-based, zero-based grading, How do those impact those learners below the line of domination because of their status as a learner of color or culturally diverse? When the materials that we use in our classroom are completely disconnected from their own lived experience, when they cannot see themselves in the instructional materials, when there are no mirrors in the paradigm of mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, how do those things fit into grade averaging? How do they fit? into deduction-based grades or zero-based grading. And then four is asset allocation and that question of positive structural inequality. In an equitable grading system, every single student is graded equitably, whether you use grade averaging, deduction-based, zero-based. There is structural inequality to account for the impossibility of seeing themselves in the content when there is no representation. There is structural inequality to support their developing mastery of the standards When there are perhaps unidentified and in need of accommodations, there is structural inequality to support access to tools and supports when students are Title I and when they or when they lack access to technology or the Internet at home or maybe just a quiet place to study or the time to study at home because maybe they have to work to help support their family. In an equitable system, when you ask the question, shouldn't we grade each child equally? The answer becomes an unequivocal no. Shouldn't we have A to F or 0 to 100 or some other scale? Sure. But shouldn't those points be awarded based on a curriculum and instructional model that is reflective of the identities and lived experiences of those below the line of domination on par with those who are above it? A model where... Educators' privileges do not oppress, but instead serve as a constant and reflective reminder that our own biases as educators should not and cannot result in grading that is oppressive. A lot to think about there. Prep your practice, though. Again, if you're working with that group doing podcast studies, you're going to discuss ways to shift your current grading practices to equitably support your marginalized learners, those who fall below the line of domination. Keep in mind the key principles of culturally responsive teaching that we discussed in episode 49. But be creative, think boldly, and don't forget to go back and reflect on your thinking from the first activity. As always, pause the podcast and continue when you're ready. Alrighty, moving on. Hopefully you have some ideas now. Your reflection and creativity juices are flowing. And let's look now at how you begin to implement equitable grading practices in line with the CARDI framework. If you're unfamiliar with the CARDI framework, it's spelled out in my book, Affecting Change for Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Learners. But I'm going to give you enough scaffolding to support your beginning to work right here. So CARDI is an acronym. It stands for Culturally Appropriate Response to Instruction. It lives in that overlap. You're looking at that Venn diagram here. It lives in that overlap in what is ethically right for your learners and the valid science of instruction, whether that is the science of reading, the science of mathematics, of computation, the scientific process, or whatever science guides your specific discipline. This is about the science of learning. And it has as its central focus, the academic achievement of every single child, every curricular and instructional decision that we have is based on improving life outcomes for the students in our schools, our classrooms, our districts. That's our central focus. And it begins with cultural awareness. And that is educators consistently working on improving their levels of awareness and connectedness to the full range of cultures of their learners. Now, let's look at how equitable grading and CARDI go hand in hand around this whole framework through instructional methods, curriculum content, academic assessment, and data-driven decision making, right? And then we're going to consider some strategies for shifting to create that equitable grading system in your context. All right, remember your blooms? All right, I've got a blooms chart in your handout to support you. If you're looking at the screen, it's there up top as well. This isn't just about changing your grading schemes. We're going to have to go deeper and broader. So step one of the CARDI framework is cultural awareness. It's not enough to have knowledge about who your learners are, what their culture is. You need to shift to a level where you can evaluate your grading scheme, every scheme, based on criteria that is not rooted in or susceptible to bias based on privilege. Anything that is above that line of domination If that influences your grading criteria, it's a problem. And that's where we have to start, cultural awareness. And step two is about instructional methodology. So knowledge, comprehension, and application of different methods, that's great, but it's not enough. You can't just know about it. You need to shift your knowledge. You need to shift your methods to a level where you can analyze what is working and what is not working for every single one of your learners that fall below that line of domination. You may need to synthesize based on one or more methods that you use, or maybe one that you use and one that you don't. You may need to create something that is more effective for your learners. Always relying on the science of learning, the valid science, and doing what is ethically right for the children in your schools and classrooms. For example, if constructivist methods are not working for some of your learners, then go with the science and use something that does. That shift is about all four of our equity indicators. Step three is curriculum content. And this one may be tough. I get it. Because as classroom leaders, classroom teachers, you're not always free to choose what content you use. I get it. Been there, done that. But you're smart. Get creative. Supplement where you can and then get on the district curriculum adoption committee or even your state adoption committees. For those of you who live in adoption states like California, Texas, Florida, get on those committees to have a voice in acquiring materials that support those equity indicators that support science and ethics for learners below the line. And step four is academic assessment. If the assessments that you're using have not been validated and normed on culturally and linguistically diverse populations that look like your children, how can you justify assigning a grade based on that assessment without modification? The assessment is biased. If it reeks of privilege, it is oppressive. It's invalid, unethical. Undoing this, where your assessments are part of a larger implementation and adopted or sanctioned curriculum, yeah, I get it. That's another big task, but you've got to start somewhere. And then step five is data-driven decision-making. And you want to base your decisions about grading on valid data. That means that you've done the works at steps one through four to make sure that all those systems are equitable first. You analyze your current decision-making schemes, analyze your grading schemes, averaging deduction-based, all that. Even standards-based, because in some of your states, and I don't want to mention any names like Florida, some of your states are horrifically racist. Let's just call it what it is. So take a look at that. Take a look at your standards and make sure that those learners who fall below that line of domination are treated with equity. Consider all four of the equity indicators and ask yourself the questions for each of those four. And then you want to develop and rely on some rubrics, self-assessment and peer feedback that consider the lived experiences of those learners. Creating these rubrics takes time, a lot of time. I get it. I've worked with groups that have taken months to develop a solid evaluative rubric. That's okay. When you get there, it is like perfection. You have to dig, analyze, critique, question, shake things up and tear them apart and start all over again. And I've given you a skeleton in the handout. To get you started. All right. Now here's the last prep your practice. And if you're working with a group doing podcast study, you're going to chat about it. Don't go away yet chat about it, reflect and discuss how can you shift your grading practices to better support your students, your marginalized learners, those that fall below that line of domination, and then begin the work on developing a rubric that will help you evaluate your current grading practices and support you as you transform to an equitable system. Keep in mind the Cardi framework and those four equity indicators. And if you don't have my book, Affecting Change, it is available on Amazon, at Teacher Creative Materials, pretty much any bookstore digitally or brick and mortar. I was going to say, what are those called? There aren't too many around anymore. So either brick and mortar, there is a digital, you can find it. So keep in mind that Cardi framework for the four equity indicators, and then whether it's a group or on your own, because this does take, take some time. As I said, when I do these workshops with teams, we may spend hours Hours a day just getting the top row descriptors together and then months to complete, review, revise, and implement. And if you're interested in this or any other workshop for your own team, just email info at askdrberry.com for more information or go to my website and fill out the form. Now, before we go, let's take a look at our key takeaways. So today we've evaluated the purpose of grades. We've analyzed the intersectionality of grading and the multiple isms, applying the CARDI framework to your grading practices, and develop some strategies for shifting to an equitable grading system. You may be doing that piece after I leave you or after we end the podcast today. And that's it. Thanks so much for joining me again today. I hope you've developed a greater understanding of the need for equitable grading systems and some strategies to begin transforming your own. Look for my book, the new book, sometime next year and continue to join me every week again email your questions topics and requests to info at askdrberry.com or visit my website and fill out the form and i'll answer those questions and bring you experts to help address those topics don't forget to look for me on threads i am off twitter by Twitter, I am on threads at as ALBerry Consulting. Now like, share, subscribe, turn on notifications, and as always, don't worry about the things you cannot change. Change the things you can no longer accept. And I'll see you next time.
0: That's it for today's episode of the 3E Podcast. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value private VIP day with Dr. Barry herself. Be sure to head over to 3epodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Barry's gift. Then join us on the next episode.